Episode 1104. What were we going to call this? I don't think you ever told me. It's just about AI and employment and... AI strikes again because of the strike. Oh, you did say... Yeah, that's right. I think I wrote... Or you wrote down to me AI strike talk. AI strike talk. I like it. Okay. All right. 1104 AI strike talk. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Matt Anderson. And I am Bendy Bono. We're back. We're back as a follow-up. Well, is it a follow-up or are we just going to be always talking about AI for a while until everything uh, works? Tomato, tomato. Man, episode 1102, I loved it personally. I knew it was a good one as it was happening. And we got more feedback than usual from it. Right. So I just want to compliment you. Good well, work on, you. on putting together the past, present, and future of AI. That was a great discussion. I don't always have my wife listen to our episodes but we've been talking about ai yeah and we were traveling home from a vacation many hours on the road so i asked if she wanted to hear the ai episode that you did and we listened to it together i had one airpod she had one and we kind of paused and talked along the way and she also enjoyed it she uh she was left with one lingering question okay and it ties into what you had already prepared for tonight's episode so tonight you're already going to talk about hollywood and the strike from the writers and the actors all around ai but she had asked, uh, or she just brought up the fact that we talked a lot about the past, present, and future of AI, but we didn't talk about what it would mean for employment. And uh, her and I were talking about how the human population is is growing and growing, but the jobs are probably going to be dwindling. So what does it mean when the like the fewer amount of people have all the power, all the money, right? that kind of thing? So anyways, do you want to talk a little bit tonight, besides the strike talk, do you want to talk about what artificial intelligence means for the future of jobs well i think it's all tied together right because that's really what's at at stake uh it's not the only thing they're striking over but ai has certainly dominated a lot of the headlines around both the writers and actor strikes and rightfully so um so we'll, we'll get to that eventually but yeah i i intentionally have kind of steered away which is maybe it's good we're doing a, a side episode on it, but the whole question of employment with there because it's a it's a difficult question to know how to answer exactly, in part because uh, this isn't a new problem. So let's take the AI piece out of it, at least temporarily. And I say temporarily because I do agree that AI is different than other technologies in the past, and especially things we talked about uh, a couple episodes ago with the exponential rise of growth and and you know other dangers associated with it. So it is different. That said, this our jobs are going to go away is not a new problem when it comes to technology, you know. And I'm not saying that that there's a that means it won't be this time. By no means am I saying that. In fact, I might wind up saying just the opposite, but let's just think think through this a little bit. So with every new technology, there has been you know, this, this concept that people are going to lose their jobs. I mean, back in the day before refrigerators, you had the Iceman come by and and drop off a block of ice. And so, you know, refrigerators come with, become the thing and you don't have uh, you don't have ice men anymore. Uh, you, you know, you have lamp lighters. Well, we don't need lamp lighters anymore. We have, and, and so you you have this concept of that technology. If we look at say the industrial revolution on, is constantly 
taking away people's jobs, and yet humanity collectively, not always individually, but collectively is better off because of it. Um, you know, in terms of like technology and computers and all of that, even just over the last 20, 30 years, uh, certainly blue collar jobs have, in some cases at least, gone away because of that. But rides of programming jobs and all of that are have increased and people earn more in those types of positions. And so the net whole has thus far, from a purely materialistic perspective, been positive for humanity, even if at the individual level, technology proves very, very disruptive uh, and seems to be following some of the patterns people are talking about. Uh, and along those same lines, you know, one of the things that, that you messaged me about, your wife was asking about, is like this kind of concentration of power. Well, again, I think technology has increased efficiency, but that hasn't happened. People are, if anything, busier. So if we're to go by the past of technology, not the past of AI, but the past of technology, we would have to conclude that this is a non-issue, okay? But is it? Like, or is AI different? Uh, I think AI is different in a lot of ways. I don't know if it's different or not here. And I say that genuinely. I'm not being facetious. Oh, I don't know. No, I, I genuinely don't know. I, do, I feel like this is one of the hardest parts to predict is what this is going to look like from a jobs economic perspective. One of the factors here that's very interesting is you mentioned the world's population is going up and up and up. It is, but not evenly. In most parts of the Western world, the population is crashing, hmm. actually. Um, you know, and we're going to feel the effects of that even here in, in the U.S., in the not too distant future, like I mentioned, blue collar jobs. So many of the trades, uh, even though our population is is not crashing the way Europe's is and other parts of the world are, uh, but so many trades are just not attracting younger workers. Like, and so as those people start to retire, there's this whole infrastructure of the country that's really in danger right now because people are going to retire die who know how to do certain things that the younger generation just does not and a lot of this us experience that even just looking at somebody you know generation above us how like i feel so incompetent with mechanical things and and people a uh, generation older than me weren't and they understand things that, that i just don't and so like there's this element of lost knowledge coming in but yeah the population declined so let's let's just take like europe for example where the it's a little deceptive in terms of raw numbers but that's partly because of the mass immigration that's taking place and i say that without any positive or negative judgment associated with it but you have you know wildly declining birth rates in large parts of europe uh there are huge incentives to have families like my family or your family now or you have four kids i have seven like they're families like that are being incentivized in europe because you're well below replacement rates of reproduction what are they doing for people that have bigger families massive tax benefits stuff like that i mean bring it on let's do that here you think america will do that i think eventually you'll have to i mean you'll have to 
because you can't sustain an economy with a crashing population. You just can't. So, but that's, there's an interesting potential there where let's just talk about AI in purely neutral terms and say that it allows for efficiency and automation that is different than past technology. Um, meaning that we don't just absorb it and keep going like you have with the computer or the internet or the refrigerator or your car or whatever. It's like, yeah, we absorb this efficiency and then we just did more as individuals with it. Like you could see a world where AI helps to wallpaper over, uh, some of the crash that's coming there. And I don't necessarily think that's a good thing actually. Um, because I think that it's a a temporary uh, solution to a much more permanent problem. Uh, you know, it might be good in individual cases. You don't want an economy to go into free fall when, you know, people retire. I like even think of, uh, and I'm, I'm, this is not a perfect program by any means, but let's just think in very basic terms about something like Social Security. Like, what's the concept of Social Security? Is that you have a larger labor force than you have people on Social Security. You know, so what you're paying in is actually supporting people who are retired. You can have whatever opinion you want about the effectiveness or, or you know, validity of having a program like that. But that the unstated assumption in that is that you have a larger labor force than a retired population. And so when those numbers get flipped, bad things happen. So, you know, you could see where AI starts to help wallpaper this over. But the reason I say it's not necessarily a good thing, even though it might be beneficial in the short term, is that you actually need to solve that problem of population crash. Like, that's a very bad problem. Uh, it's bad not just in economic terms. It's bad in terms of what it implies about the moral state of a country. You know, like, why is that happening? Well, it's happening because of the rejection of values that I would consider, and I think Christianity in general would consider to be uh, innately good and important. Things like marriage, things like the purpose of marriage being to raise a family, things like the importance of children, things like, you know, all of those types of values. And so a society that can reject that without destroying themselves uh, is really just destroying itself in other ways. So that's more of a philosophical argument. Uh, the traditional economic argument against a crashing population is much more compelling uh, and, quite frankly, scary to watch that happening, which is why governments are willing to incentivize uh, getting married and having kids at a wild rate in uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe. It, it's actually quite scary what's happening. So that's interesting. Um Okay, but then you still have this problem of what happens if you do get to the point of AI being different. So let's just go down the road because I think the other answer of we just absorb it in the machine, uh, I don't know how likely that is, but it's also the least interesting one to talk about. It just becomes another technology and then the only dangers, the only dangers are the cataclysmic end of the world stuff that we've already <laughs> talked about. So assuming that doesn't happen, we'll be okay. Um, but let's say that you do wind up with kind of crossing that threshold and you have kind of the concentration of money and power and everything into just a small handful of people who are able to use AI to do everything. Uh, that's a really 
interesting scenario because on the one hand, it's like, yeah, Scrooge McDuck diving into his vault. But on the other hand, that's not really the way the world works. So if you want to be, um, you know, whoever making tons of money, uh, you conceivably want to have tons of people who can buy what you have. So you can almost wind up shooting yourself in the foot, even if you're trying to just be the evil rich person or whatever, but controlling the entire world. You do actually need people to purchase your product in order for you to do anything. What you probably wind up with is um, some type of universal basic income, which is, of course, already being talked about. Uh, I think it's an interesting concept. It's way too soon for it. Edward Yang uh, ran on that platform in the Democratic primary in 2020. Uh, and I think that although I disagree with Edward Yang on a lot of things, I think it's part of why it's Andrew Yang. Is it Andrew? Yeah, it's you're right. Uh, I think he was an interesting candidate because he was at least thinking outside of the box of what other people were saying. I don't think UBI would work right now. Uh, and indeed, I think early pilots of it have been less than successful. But I mean, there's you could see the world going in such a way where it's not really even a debatable point. You just have to have that or people aren't going to survive. And when people talk about that, so they talk envision a world where there's just efficiency and you have all your basic needs provided for, people act like sometimes it's a utopia. And I, you know, where people are just going to wander around doing art and stuff. And I 100% disagree. I actually think that's a dystopia for a couple of different reasons. Like, like you've talked about this before. You think working is an important part Absolutely. of being a human. But yes. go ahead. Yeah, so that would be one of them. Uh, the idea that people are just going to wander around doing art and feel happy and satisfied is absolute nonsense. Most people, like, what do most people do on a day off? They sit in front of the TV or on their phones. It's like, just go mind-numbing. Numb, like, people aren't suddenly productive and creative when they are freed from the constraints of needing to provide for themselves. Now, obviously, there's a balance. You know, it's not good to have people so, you know, needing to work three jobs and, and you know, leisure time is good. Uh, and a lot of good can come out of it. But there is this human balance of needing to struggle, needing to provide for yourself, needing to work. That's very innate to what it means to be human. I think you see a lot of people who go into retirement and, and don't do well. Like they, they either wind up getting a part time job or they, you know, just their life goes into decline afterwards. Like, I don't. I think that this this fantasy is exactly that—that that you're just going to wander around, you know, finger painting or whatever, <laughs> and, and being so happy about it. Like I think most people would go insane. Like as a society, if we went on permanent vacation, which is what you're talking about, we would go insane, and it wouldn't take that long. And you feel this, like if you go on a a, a you know you have an extra day off because it's mm -hmm. Memorial Day weekend or whatever, and then you got to go back to work on Tuesday. You're like, oh, that, I wish I had one more day. And you have a week off. It's like, ah, oh, that was nice, but I got to go back already. You take two weeks off. You're like, okay. You know, like I have a friend who's a, a, a school teacher, so he has the summers off. I asked him, like, are you ready to go back to it? He's like, yeah, I've passed the point yeah. where I'm ready to – your wife – My, my wife is a teacher. She feels that same way. Yeah, like you've reached the point where you are ready to go back. You're mm -hmm. ready for – 
uh, the return to what you were doing before. It's not as though she's just laying around or whatever all summer by any means, young kids. But like, there is that aspect where you go on vacation forever. Oh, I wish we could never leave. Yeah, try never leaving. Uh, you'll either go insane or become a terrible person. I don't think there's an alternative. So that's not good. It's like the Frank Herbert idea, and this isn't a spoiler for any plot points, but he describes paradise planets in one of the Dune books and talks about how they inevitably result in mass violence by trying to create this permanent vacation uh, you know, world that you can just live on. So uh, I don't know that that necessarily happens, but I don't think it would be good. I actually think it would be extreme apathy and we just like literally, you know, lay down and die. It's probably going to be closer to Wally than anything else. Yeah, I've thought a lot about Wally. Yeah, I do feel like that could be a potential. Maybe not exactly, but something that we're heading to. Right, just laying around and doing nothing. Yeah, robots it's, take it's care really of it. scary. Like if you don't have to do anything, you think you would, but would you? Mm-hmm. Like really think about that. We all like to think we would. We like to think we're the exception. And I, I do think that, like, you know, people like us who like to read and have things we like to think about and do, you know, probably are going to do better than a lot of people. But it's scary. Like, what actually motivates you in life is your need. You know, you need to provide for your family. And it's not just motivating, it's fulfilling. Not always and not in every case, and I'm not trying to poo-poo the idea that there are people who are you know, genuinely suffering because of their struggle to provide or whatever, 100%. But there's something meaningful about that. Okay, but then the second danger with all of this is that you have universal basic income, you have this um, small group of people who are in charge of AI that's running the world and providing for everybody. And it doesn't really matter for the purpose of what I'm about to say, if that small group of people is in the business, you know, private sector or public sector, some combination thereof, uh, it doesn't matter. What you've done is you've now given all of your ability to survive over to people who at a whim could end your life. And that's not good. You're now a slave. You might be a well-provided-for slave. You might be a slave with a comfortable life, but you are now a slave. You know, it actually scares me what I just described a few minutes ago about how I'm less mechanically minded than the previous generation. was less mechanically minded than the generation before that. There's this skill erosion that's taking place, and it really should scare us. It really, really should. You know, I love old guys on YouTube, like old guys on YouTube propping up uh, the infrastructure of America. Like I had to replace uh, a part on my mower deck. I have a John Deere riding mower. And so it's a fairly complicated thing to take apart. It was terrifying to do. It's like you pass the point of no return. If I take off this, if I take one yeah. more step, Mr. Frodo, <laughs> will be the farthest away from home. If I take one more piece off my mower deck, Mr. Frodo, I'll never get it back together again. Like that's how you feel. And, you know, I'm watching old guys on YouTube who, who know how to do this. And it's like they just save our lives. It's it's, it's actually a you would talk about good parts of technology that genuinely not just good because, oh, I got my mower back together, but just 
sharing knowledge that's going to be lost otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was repairing my John Deere deck, uh, the guy comes on, because I all have terrible microphones and the camera's shaking. Like the, the, the quality's awful, but they, they do a great job explaining it. This is the one-handed mechanic. And if I can do it, you can do it. And your brain's thinking, one-handed mechanic? And then on big letters on the screen, it flashes, I was born with one hand. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, he's, he's legitimate. It's the one-handed mechanic. Yeah. And then indeed, as the video goes on, he in fact only does have one hand. So it, it's great. Uh, I got distracted by the one-handed mechanic. I forgot where I was I going. I mean, he makes a good point. If he can do it. If he can do it, can you do can it. do it. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, but that skill erosion is scary. So now imagine that skill erosion to the level where you don't know how to go to a grocery store. You don't know how to cook a meal. You know, you don't know how to put gas in your car. You don't know how to drive. You don't know how to get anywhere. Like, we're talking the most basic of skills, and you can't do them. And not just, like, like my wife is terrible at directions, you know, so she can't read a map or whatever. But not just you. Like, no one can. No one. That's very scary. Very, very scary. That is slavery at the mass scale. And you, you know, you're you're at the whim of whatever these people want to do, and you think their values are going to agree with you? They're not. You know, what happens when you know? Just imagine whatever dystopian scenario you want to imagine. Like you're you're 100 percent at the whim of people who can just shut you off. Um, so I don't think that's good at all. Okay, so. That's kind of the future of work that I think your wife was was getting at uh, with that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to happen from from that perspective. Uh, it, it to me that's one of the hardest things of all of this to predict, just because the entire history of technology tells me it won't. But everything about AI suggests that this is different. And I don't know which of those instincts is right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I've shied away from talking about that okay. well, up till now. Good conversation to have as it leads into AI and the Hollywood strike. Yeah, so the strikes are really interesting um, because in the case of the writers, one of the things that's at issue is the role of AI. And, and you could see this very easily with ChatGPT editing scripts, rewriting scripts, you know. Uh, and one of the things that I think was most interesting in what the writers want is not just, you know, having the AI edit scripts, but using uh, WGA material to feed the language model. Because the entire concept of ChatGPT is that the more data it has, the smarter it gets, right? So, like, anything, you know, that you ask it to do it knows how to do because it can find other examples of that being done. So let's say that you wanted to have it write a Avengers movie for you. And there was, it had no access to any Avengers material. It would be bad at it. It would produce something that wasn't great. Um, And didn't even come close to what you had, not because the algorithm changed, but because the data changed. Now, let's say that it had you asked it to write an Avengers movie and it has access to a handful of comics from the 70s. That's it. Okay, it's going to be better than just no data, uh, but not not great. Now, let's say that it has access to 
everything Marvel has ever done, scripts, movies, comics, whatever. Now it's going to be as good as it could possibly be at the current level. So this is one of the important things to understand about these language algorithms is that on the one hand, there's the actual quote-unquote intelligence that's there, the algorithms, the code, the machine, the processing power, but they're only as good as the data that they have. So I know that is the terminology <coughs> scraping the internet? Yeah, that, I mean, I, I, data scraping, data mining is something different, but that's essentially, yeah, so what I, it's doing. So I know ChatGPT has access to the internet uh, up to a certain point. Yes. But you're talking about, just use comic books as an example, is there a human who is taking time putting hard copy files, I don't know how to say this right, like, well, as more is there, and more scanned, yeah. Yeah, is there somebody who's scanning comic books and putting that into ChatGPT? Like, is there somebody who's trying to load hard copy stuff that's not on the internet into ChatGPT? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. And that's also why, like, when you use ChatGPT, you're actually making it smarter. It's getting live feedback on its data. You're saying everyone who uses ChatGPT is making the one main... Because I guess I'm picturing just like we can, you can do a different Google search than I can do. Like, yeah. I, I don't really imagine my Google search is making your Google experience better, but you're saying that how ChatGPT yes. works, the more people that use it, the more it's good for everybody or more smart it is for everybody. Yes. Correct. Correct. Okay. So from the writer's perspective, it's exactly that. Like there's certainly scripts out there on the internet it's going to have access to, but now, you know, we're just going to dump all of the scripts published, unpublished into this language model. And away it goes. This is actually why one of the the concerns companies have about ChatGPT, um, like the security department at our company, the risk department's going through setting policies around this. Do not put any proprietary code into it because now it has access to it. And it will learn it. It'll learn it. Yeah. And then it can spit out your code to somebody else. So mm. – Say you have a, a software product and you have proprietary source code and you dump that into ChatGPT, you've essentially just made that public to the world. Mm. You know, it's trade secret. Not anymore. Okay. Okay, so that's what the writers want. And then what the actors want is they're being threatened with, like, background actors. So the, the Tom Cruises of the world aren't really in danger, but background actors, you show up for one day, you get paid for one day, you had your likeness scanned, and now we just reproduce it with AI in the background. Okay, so, you know, lots of stuff that we've is at least adjacent to what we've talked about. Uh, the writers and actors are going to win th this round for the simple reason that AI isn't good enough yet for them to lose. What should make you curious is the next round, whether that's five years in the future, 10 years in the future, because where the two sides are at right now tells you what the studios are thinking. And the reason the actors and writers are going to win, at least on the AI grounds, I'm sure there'll be compromises as these things go, uh, is that they need, they're, they're needed right now. What happens when they're not? which is where we're going, you know, where you can produce a quote-unquote lifelike script without the writers. That's not that far away. You know, James Cameron had a quote this weekend where he said it was, I'm not worried about AI from a writer's perspective. Get back to me in 20 years when it's written a, a best picture script. It's like, no, maybe 20 months, like not 20 years. Uh, it's just not going to take that long. 
So I mean, having him create the Terminator franchise, he should know better. Right. He knows it's not going to take that long. Right. Yeah. And he, he did quip on that, too. He said, I tried to warn you guys. Which, yeah. Yeah. He did. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, I think this will be interesting. I don't I don't see it going anything other than just a typical strike. It'll drag on for a while. Eventually, an agreement will be reached. It'll, you know, everybody will be mad at each other for a while. But the interesting thing is going to be the next one. That's what to pay attention to. It's not, it's not about this round, but the battle lines this round are going to determine where the starting point is in the next round. And in the next round, the writers, especially the writers, I feel like actors have more leverage because you have names who can still put pressure on it. Like, you know, I don't see AI replacing Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 20 or whatever because he's Tom Cruise. But the background actors and all of that will become disposable. Uh, and the writers are disposable because people don't, you know, nobody goes to a movie outside of like people like me don't go, might go to a movie because of who wrote it. But normal people do not. Like nobody's even paying attention to that. So writers will become disposable from a studio's perspective, not from an artistic perspective, but the studios aren't interested in art uh, very, very soon. That won't take that long. So it's all about what's coming next. So do you know, do they, so the last one is 15 <laughs> years ago. Do they tend to sign 15 years? I, I don't know how that works okay. exactly. Well, we'll see. So what will be the, I know you said they're going to win. I don't, you, I mean, the extras thing, we've heard about that before, scanning the likeness. I don't exactly know what else. Is that the only issue at hand with the actors? Or is there... No, I mean, there's other just standard like, contract what are issues. The, what will be the resolution in your mind? I know you said they're, the Raiders and actors are going to win, but I wonder what winning is to them right now. They'll agree. I mean, all winning is in any type of negotiation like this, and that's all it should be, is a temporary armistice, right? Sure. Like, it, there's no permanent solution. So the studios will probably largely cave in and give in to whatever the writers and actors are asking for. And I don't know what the specifics are. I'm sure it, it's stipulations on how AI can and can't be used. Okay. Okay. So let's just say the studios uh, go completely in. And I'm sure this is more than what's being asked for and said, we're not going to use it at all. Okay. So that's that, right? No. Because eventually, like, the studio is going to get to the point where they can just say, you know what? Forget what we said before. We're going to, we're, we're just going to do it anyway. Like they, the, every agreement's going to expire eventually. Okay. I was just thinking, I mean, I haven't used ChatGPT yet, just so oh, you good. know. But if I ever was to, I mean, I could become a screenwriter. Like, what if I, if I was, I guess the question is, they may be making rules about not using AI to write scripts. But who's monitoring that? Like, what if I... Oh, it's already a huge problem. Like, like, what if I was to create a script using ChatGPT and maybe I edited it myself to make it sound a little bit better, but the, the core of what I've created came out of AI? They're not going to know that. Yeah, that's already a huge problem, especially like with college campuses. AI has revolutionized cheating mm -hmm. in six months. Mm -hmm. And like, the story's already been written on this. It's a complete nightmare. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners... More good news here from the Sci-Fi Christian, but that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Benny Bono. And we're the Sci-Fi Christian signing off. Uh, well.